You're listening to the Mission Gathering Thornton Message Podcast, a weekly show of our Sunday sermons that give you a way to connect with God, grow in faith, and find wholeness. Thanks for joining us. Here's the message. I'm a big baseball fan, if you haven't caught that. I'm a big fan, especially of the New York Yankees. And though my fanaticism has died down over the years, I still really enjoy watching the New York Yankees. I pay for a MLB subscription just so I can watch their games because they're not on regular TV. So believe it or not, this year it's a little easier because there's only 60 games. But every year for the 162, every year I make it my goal to try to at least watch some of every single game of the 162. And um, now if you know the Yankees, you know that the Yankees' true rival is the Boston Red Sox. But really, at least from, from my my standpoint as a Yankees fan, like every team is the rival of the Yankees because every team wants to beat the vaunted New York Yankees. And uh, it reminds me of the, the 2010 season. So I was almost going to wear like a Yankees jersey, but I never really want to give that much thought to like what I wear. I don't know if you can tell I'm a simple dresser, so forgive me. But I just went with simple polo and slacks today. And uh, save my Yankees jersey for the still for the closet. But anyway, it reminds me of the 2010 season. And the in the 2010 baseball season, the New York Yankees had just come off winning, at least in 2009, the World Series. And if you wonder how much I've died down from my fanaticism, like Game Six of the 2009 World Series, when the Yankees were about to clinch. Karina said, hey, can we go see a movie? And the Yankees were winning. It was like the sixth or seventh inning. And I said, yes, believe it or not. And to this day, I regret it. <laughs> I didn't get to see the Yankees clinch the World Series. And we said we watched a movie. So that tells you something about how much uh, I've sacrificed in my fanaticism for the sake of my relationships. But anyway, uh, 2010 season, the Yankees were in the playoffs in the American League Championship Series. And they're playing the Texas Rangers and unfortunately, they lost the series in six games to the Texas Rangers. And I was like, I was bummed because I was like ready for another World Series to celebrate. So like a couple days after, Kree and I were going to have some dinner with some old friends. And these old friends said, hey, we've got some friends in town who are just moved here from Texas. And they're going to come have dinner with us. And we thought, oh, sure, that's great. More friends. So, again, since I'm a big Yankees fan and the series had just ended and they lost, I was like, you know, I'll I'll wear, like, a Yankees shirt, Yankees hat. I don't remember. But anyway, I think it was a Yankees hat. Anyway, I walk in the door and, like, I, I turn around and see these two people, this couple, and they're, like, decked out head to toe in Texas Rangers gear. And I was just like, what is going on? No, no Texas Rangers here. How I'm offended. And it, uh, I know it sounds ridiculous. It is ridiculous. But it was a lot of fun in the moment because I, it was just so funny. Like, here I am, big, staunch Yankees fan. And here these people are, new people, like, big, like, excited to be Texas Rangers because for the Rangers. Because that was, like, the first time. Again, I'm going to nerd out in baseball history here for a little bit. But the Yankees had beaten the Rangers in the playoffs like multiple times before that, or at least at least twice what comes to mind. So obviously these Rangers fans were excited to have finally beat the Yankees, right? And <laughs> they were celebrating. And it was funny because, as I remember, these two couples were talking about before I got there how like I would be offended by their Rangers stuff. And, of course, I was like, what? Rangers? No! You know, they, they just beat my Yankees. Um, 
But it was a lot of fun. We were able to thankfully get over our own divisions about whose team was the best. And I gave him and them 2010. And we talked about baseball, and it was a lot of fun. Um, But often that's not the case in our society. Oftentimes, it's often about being on the right team and getting more people onto our team. Whether it's Team Edward or Team Jacob, for those who remember back that far, Team Slytherin or Team Gryffindor, for, for fans of The Voice, it's Team Kelly or Team Blake or whatever team. Or if we get serious, it's Team Red versus Team Blue, Democrats, Republicans, whatever. And I, I know in reality it's often more complicated than that, but often when it comes down to Christianity at least, we make it that simple. We're either a Christian or we're not a Christian. We're a follower of Jesus or we're not a follower of Jesus. We're religious or we're not religious. And our job as true Christians is to bring more people onto our team. Like, that's it. That's our job. And often it's the case, too, that if we're not fully committed to bringing more people onto our team, if we think Christianity is more than just about converting people, and if we think social justice matters, then we too are seen as being on the wrong team, or at least not fully on board with our own team. But what if, what if in Jesus, those old divisions don't matter anymore? What if because of Jesus' faithfulness to his mission, his mission that led him to the cross, what if those old divisions that came between God and humanity, they don't exist anymore. That's already been healed. And what if our job as Christians isn't to try to get more people onto the team, but rather to spread the good news of Jesus? The good news of Jesus, I believe, is that God welcomes us and loves us. God cares deeply about our world and that God is working now, even now. As I say this and as you watch this, God is working now to make things better in our world. I know it may not look like it. I know it may not seem like it. With so much seemingly negative stuff going on, so much bad things in the news, this COVID stuff, I know it may not seem like it, but I believe if you take nothing else from this message, take this. God is working now to bring good to our world. I believe that and hope you do too. So, so last week I started off a new series on Romans talking about the faith of Jesus as described by the Apostle Paul who wrote the book of Romans. And last week I talked about how it was Jesus' faithfulness to his mission that bridged the divide between God and humanity. And, and Paul invites us, God invites us, to follow the mission of our own. Where God has a mission for each one of us too. So this week, I want to ask you another question. And I want to ask you or invite you to consider, to imagine, what comes to mind when you think of God, when you think of heaven, when you think of God, you know, in heaven. Do you think of God, like, sitting up in, like, a big, fancy business, like, boardroom with a giant executive table and fancy chairs around and charts and numbers and statistics all on the wall with computers bringing in updating statistics about who was all being converted and becoming saved and now is a Christian 
Or instead, does something come to mind where you imagine like God sitting around, hanging out with people and saying, tell me what's happening good in the world. Someone comes up and says, hey, a single mom just was able to find some affordable childcare for her kids. Or, hey, this guy who's been a drug addict or out of work just found a new good job. Or, hey, this person over there, she's, she's, been, she's been abandoned by her family because of her sexuality, and now she's, find, she's found a place of acceptance and love. What comes to mind, what image resonates more with you when you think about God in heaven? For me, at least, and you're welcome to disagree with me, but for me, at least, it's the former if I'm saying this right, it's, I'm, it's the latter, excuse me. <laughs> it's the latter that comes to mind when I think about God. I believe that God is not obsessed with conversions, newly acquired business, or overall sales, if, if we talk about it in business sense. Rather, I believe that God is obsessed, God is concerned with the sick being cared for, the hungry being fed, and systems of injustice and oppression being overturned. And I believe the good news of Jesus is not just that relationship between God and humanity has been restored. Like, that's, yes, that's absolutely a part of it. But it's also that God is seeking to redeem the entire world. I remember literally I had this conversation with, a, with an old friend on Facebook or Twitter, and they said, what do you believe the gospel of Jesus is? And I said, I believe God is seeking to redeem the entire world. And they're like, okay, what do you really believe? <laughs> I was just like, that's, that's it. Like, God is seeking to redeem the entire world. And I believe that our job as followers of Jesus is to participate, yes, to participate in that redemption. That's kind of what gets back to what I talked about last week. We each have a part to play in God's mission. God is inviting us to partake in that mission to redeem the entire world. You and I, me and you have a part to play in that mission. So today I want to talk about the Apostle Paul. And I don't know how much you know about the Apostle Paul, but he's, he's kind of a big deal in, in Christianity. He wrote a lot of the New Testament of what we know of the Bible today. And throughout kind of his, his, his kind of what he's famous for is being a missionary to non-Jewish people, right? Paul himself was a Jew, and, you know, we can talk about that another time, if that, if that sounds weird to you. But Paul was a Jew, and he was, he was obviously, like, really, he cared about his own, his people. And he wanted what was best for him. And there were some, there were some Jewish people who just weren't having it, weren't, weren't down with what Jesus was about. And I don't know if it's because, like, they wanted, like, a more messianic, kind of conquering military messiah, or they expected more, they didn't want their messiah to be crucified by Rome, but whatever. Some Jewish people just were not down with Jesus. And Paul was obviously very concerned about his own people and spent a lot of time thinking about it. And he wrote, Paul wrote this book to the Romans, to the people in, the, in the Rome, and we know it as the Ro- book of Rome, I'm sorry, book of Romans, and he wrote this book so that these people would understand Paul's mission. But inevitably, the question came up 
as he was writing this book, what about your own people? What about the Jewish people? So Paul answered. In, in Romans chapter 11, he uses this really kind of vast explanation that I don't really understand because I'm not like an arborist or in the agriculture, but he talks about trees, and he talks about how uh, an arborist might graft onto or take one branch from one tree and kind of stick it onto another tree. Uh, perhaps you understand uh, whatever the word is, arborist stuff, tree stuff, better than I do. But that's the gist of it as I understand. Like you take a tree branch from one tree and you, you cut it off somehow and then you stick it onto another tree and that's it grows on that new tree. And this is the analogy, this is the metaphor Paul used to talk about how like Gentiles or people who are non-Jews have been taken from their own tree and, like, stuck onto another tree. And the question comes up in the Romans chapter 11, um, were branches broken off to the tree? You know, some people are wondering, like, well, did, did, did God break branches off the tree? And what happens to those branches who are theoretically the Israelites? And, you know, some people think they could be bent or broken. Regardless, um, Paul seems to say at the end of the chapter, like these old branches could easily be stuck back on. Um, but let's let's go ahead and read. And if you have if you have a Bible, we'll have the words here on screen for you. But Romans chapter eleven, I want to read verse twenty six and twenty seven, or Romans eleven twenty five and twenty six. I'm sorry. So this is right at the end after after Paul had had talked about this analogy or this metaphor of the trees and the branches, right? So he says, so that you may not claim to be wiser than you are, brothers and sisters, I want you to understand a mystery. A hardening has come upon part of Israel until the full number of Gentiles has come in. But then in 26 he says, so all of Israel will be saved. As it is written, out of Zion will come the deliverer and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them. I will take away their sins. And then skipping down to verse 29, he says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And to me, like, that's pretty clear. Like, God's gifts cannot be taken back. And all of Israel will be saved. So in my mind, like what Paul is saying, like, to, to Paul, it's inconceivable that the Jews would not be included in the redemption of humanity. That, that was inconceivable in, in Paul's mind. But Paul had to really had to come to a place where that made sense to him, where he trusted God to take care of it. And for me, at least, I've landed in a similar spot. To me... And this is me talking. You're welcome to disagree. But to me, I've come to a place where I've trusted God. And I, I just, I, it's inconceivable to me that God would leave anyone out of God's plan to redeem the entire world. It's inconceivable to me. And like Paul, I'm not really sure how it's all going to work. But I've come to a place where I trust God to take care of it. I believe that because of Jesus' faithfulness to his mission, their broken relationship relationship between God and humanity has been restored. And that's the attitude that I believe Paul takes in, in, the, in the book of Romans. Like, Paul is not trying to explain how God is going to do it. Paul just has confidence that it will happen. 
And in the meantime, Paul is inviting his readers, and I believe that includes you and I. Paul is inviting us to participate in that plan that God has for the redemption of the world. So our job, I believe, is to do the mission that God has for us. To spread God's good news of love and justice and inclusion. And again, there, there are two ways, I believe, two ways of thinking about God. The God in this heavenly boardroom, or the God sitting around talking with his angels, perhaps saying, what, what good has happened in our world today? Like, how many new converts do we have for the team? Or how much progress has been made toward the overall mission? A mission that I believe is about, that is about humanity finding wholeness and healing. By centering the problem on the question of how we get new people on the team, we forget what the book of Romans was ultimately about. It was about mission. And again, if this sounds a little bit similar to the message you heard from me last week, it is. Because I believe that God has a mission for you just as much as God has a mission for me. I believe just as much as God has a mission for every human being on the face of this planet. And because we all have a part to play in God's mission, our job as followers of Jesus is to be faithful to that mission, just as Jesus was. I don't think that God is sitting up in heaven worrying about how many people we've won over to our team. Again, I think that in Jesus that's already been decided. What I believe that God is concerned about is how faithful we have been to our mission of caring for the poor, of welcoming the stranger, of healing the sick, of feeding the hungry, of bringing justice to the oppressed, of loving the outsider. Now, again, you can't do all these things, and neither can I, but we've each got to do our part. And when you do your part, and when I do my part, and your part may be different than my part, but I've got to do my part just as much as you've got to do your part. But when we each do our parts, I mean, that's when we begin to see the kingdom of God on earth as we pray that it will be in as it is in heaven. That's, that's what we pray, right? The Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we understand that it was Jesus' faithfulness to his mission that mended the broken relationship between God and humanity. When we understand it's not our job to try to win people over to our team, when we understand that we can trust God just as Paul did to work everything out, I believe we're free to do what God wants us to do. And I believe that's, again, healing the sick, caring for the poor, loving the outsider, bringing justice to the oppressed, welcoming the stranger. Let's rise above labels. Let's rise above Teams, divisions, and play the part that God has for us, the mission that God has for you, and that God, the mission God has for me. And I know this may sound different, and 
Again, you're welcome to disagree. This is not a church or a place where I'm going to say you have to agree with me all the time. But I believe when we're faithful to the mission that God has for us, we don't need to worry about the other stuff. Our concern, our focus is doing what God has for us to do. So let's do our mission as we pray together. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May it be so, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mission Gathering Thornton Message Podcast. You can watch our weekly services on Facebook Live every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And to learn more about joining a group or serving with us, visit our website at mgthornton.org.